All right. Well, uh, by now everybody's figured out that this is missions week, missions emphasis month. And we have this whole idea of missions. And before uh, we dive into a text, before we go anywhere else, uh, I think there's one point that we ought to address. And that is now in the 21st century, very often when we hear about missions, uh, it's actually portrayed very negatively. That we hear about missions and the whole idea of missions is that Westerners go into other parts of the world and they change and ruin indigenous cultures. That the whole idea of mission is that we take Western civilization elsewhere and we try and make people into our own image. And as we come to our text, as we are in this time talking about missions, uh, we have to admit there have been many times when missionaries have erred. Many times when there have been mistakes. And yet also we find in scripture that God has a mission. And his mission is to remake people into his image, not us making people into our image, but God restoring his fractured image that is in his creation. And the idea of mission is not going about and doing what we want, but rather going about and doing what the Lord would want us to do. So let's uh, read here from Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have your word. And I ask that you would give us understanding. Without you, my words are nothing more than words. And with your blessing, these words have power. And we pray that your power would be on us, that we would be able to leave here transformed according to the image of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. Back in May of 2000, I set out with my dad on a cross-country, cross-countries trip. We drove from Nashville, Tennessee, to Guadalajara, Mexico. And as as we got into Mexico, all these strange things came flying at me. There were the different sounds. There was the dust. But one of the most fear-inducing things at that moment were the road signs. The road signs, not because they were in Spanish. My Spanish was decent enough to interpret them. But they just often weren't helpful. So we drove down past Monterey and we saw the bypass road around the city of Saltillo. And I had consulted with people, and they said, yes, take all the bypass roads you can. You don't want to go through the middle of all these towns. It'll take you forever. So I take the bypass road, but there's a curious thing. The bypass road didn't actually have signs telling you how to get back onto the main highway again. And it took me over half an hour to figure that out. 
And then we got further down, down, down the highway to the city of Zacatecas, and again, I got lost. Got into the city of Aguascalientes, and suddenly realized that all the cars opposite the stoplight where I was, all the lanes had cars facing me. That my lane had ended. And when you're driving, you need to know where you're going and you also need to know how to get there. You need a mission. You need to know what it is you're going after. And you also need to know how are we actually supposed to go about it? How can the mission come to be? And as we look at this passage, we see that Paul is writing about mission. And he is also writing about how that mission is going to be accomplished. He, in verse 3, he says that he has a purpose, a purpose to declare the mystery of Christ. Now that's shorthand for Paul at that moment. The mystery of Christ is something that he has been writing about throughout this letter that he writes about in other letters. And it is shorthand. In chapter 1, we read the mis this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That the idea is that God is at work in this world, reconciling his fallen creation to himself through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who has come and who has entered into our weakness, who has entered into our sin, who has entered into our filth, and who laid himself down to redeem us in the midst of it. That he came in, but he was not contaminated. Rather, he offered his body as purification to wash us, to cleanse us. And this message that we have throughout the whole Bible, we find in the person of Jesus fulfilled. That God is on a mission. That he is on a mission. A mission that started in the garden. A mission that began, that began in our knowledge with a promise to the man and the woman. That someone would come and crush the head of the serpent. Someone would come and undo his wicked deeds. Someone would come and take away the suffering, the misery, the death that had come into the world. And as you all have been talking about the Abrahamic covenant, this promise came to Abraham. And he says that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That the promise wasn't just for Abraham, it wasn't just for his generation, it wasn't just for his biological seed. It was a blessing that would be for all the families of the earth. That God is at work and he is going to bring about the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on earth and in heaven. Under the earth. will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that in that day, the followers of Jesus will be there from every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation. And the Lord God will wipe away every tear from every eye. The new Jerusalem will come down. Heaven and earth will be one. Suffering will be no more. No longer will there be anything accursed. And God's servants will reign with him forever and ever. This is the mission that Jesus is on. This is God's mission. And he is declaring that he wants to work through us, through his people, through his church to that end. 
And he's doing it. And Paul says, this is what I'm doing. I'm declaring the mystery of Christ that God is redeeming his people. God is redeeming his lost creation. And in that context, he says, pray. This is what the mission is about. Therefore, pray. He says it first in verse 2. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray. And then he says, pray specifically for us, for Paul, for his companions, for those that in those days they would have said, these are the missionaries. Pray for the missionaries. Pray specifically for them, for those who are going out and proclaiming the word. He says, pray. Now, a lot of times we hear this message. We hear, pray for our missionaries, pray for missions, pray for the missionaries out there. And we say, that's great. How? How ought we be praying for the missionaries? And Paul, in these verses and in the parallel letter of Ephesians, when he was wrapping up Ephesians, similarly to how he's wrapping up Colossians, he gives us some big picture items to pray for. Earlier we mentioned some small picture things, our health, our finances. We talked about uh, just the routine of life and how it is difficult to go out and take the message. Those things need prayer, that's true. And Paul, in other places, talks about those type categories. But here he says, we have some big things. There are some big pictures that need to be prayed for. Prayed for for us and also prayed for for you. See, uh, in your outline there, it comes at the end. Uh, it talks about a realization. But we're going to go ahead and insert it on the front end, and that'll help us maybe apply things a little bit better to our own lives as we go through the passage. This realization is that Paul's not the only missionary, and his companions aren't the only missionaries. Rather, even the Colossians to whom he was writing, Paul considered to be missionaries. Verses 5 and 6 Spell that out for us. He says to them, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That's those who don't have faith in Christ. Making the best use of the time. Well, how do you make best use of your time with outsiders? Well, what does Paul say? Verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. What is Paul saying? A Christian's job is to live and engage with those who aren't of the faith. And to do so in a gracious, winsome, loving way. In other words, be missionaries wherever you are. That's what Paul is saying here. And then this idea of how do we pray then becomes how do we pray for people going to Chile, for people going into South Asia, but it's also how can I be a missionary going to classes at Kennesaw State? How can I be a missionary in my workplace? How can I be a missionary as I'm a mom and I have small kids and that is what takes up so much of my time? Well, Paul says to pray about that. Pray about that. There were curious road signs on that trip down to Guadalajara. Some of them were very strange to me. One of them 
One of them said something like this. Hold on, I got behind in my notes. I always do that. There's a set of them. They said, obedezcan las señales. Obey the signs. And there were others that said, respeten las señales. Respect the signs. Now, what does this mean? Why on earth would you put up a sign that says, obey the signs? Well, it's pretty clear that people aren't obeying the signs, right? People aren't there. They're, they're not obeying the signs. And if they're not obeying the other signs, you know, don't speed, they're probably not going to obey the sign that says, obey the signs either. But there they are, little cultural curiosity. And this obey the signs spells out something right there. It says, people are closed to change. People are closed to a perspective that says, do things this way, not that way. It's not just Mexican. But this idea that I need to be told to respect what I already know is right, that's true to all of us. And that's what Paul's praying about here in verse 3. He says, pray that God may give us, that God may open, the door, open to us a door for the word. What's Paul praying for? An open door. He's praying for opportunity. He's saying people's hearts are closed. People are shielded against us. And we are not able to open those hearts on our own. I can be very winsome. I can be persuasive. I can be compassionate. I can be kind. I can be clever. And I cannot change another person's heart. I can't do that. And I can have great strategies, I can have great evangelistic campaigns, I can have the perfect ideas of this is how we can bring people in. And if it's me doing it, it won't work. That won't function at all. And so we need to be praying for open doors. And those first open doors, or those first doors that need to be opened, I would suggest to you, are the actual hearts of the missionaries. Missionaries, if you're thinking about the missionaries out there, we aren't superheroes. We aren't perfect. We don't walk on water. We get times of spiritual dryness. Our hearts can grow hard. We can be short with our tempers, angry with our words, we can grow apart from the Lord. And we need prayer that Jesus would be our treasure. That he would be first and foremost. That the Lord would be at work in us saying, this door needs to remain open. This heart needs to remain soft. This man, this woman needs to be teachable. Needs to be humble. Needs to value Christ above all other things. Pray for that open door there, but also pray for open doors in society. Pray for doors to be opened so that we could speak to people. Pray for opportunities to come up, to be able to engage people who come from a very different worldview and to be able to say to them, this is what Jesus has done for you. We need those open doors. 
We had an interesting open door come up early on in our time there. There was a sign out in front of a house that said, Mission Familiar, Family Mission. And I said, what is a family mission? Sounds Catholic. I'm going to go check it out. And so I went and I met this man, Don Luis. Don Luis was at that point about 80 years old. And Don Luis said, please come in, sit down and talk. And then as he got into the other room, I came to know that he already knew all about me. He was saying to the housekeeper, there's a man here, he's a pastor from another religion. And we began to talk. And God opened a door. He opened a door in Don Luis's heart. But he also used Don Luis to open a door in that community. That as he loved the Lord and as he loved us, he advocated on our behalf. There were people who weren't happy that we were there. We uh, sent out announcements that we were starting a new church, and somebody responded by putting dog excrement in our mailbox. We had other people at the place where we were renting space, trying to campaign that the administrator would kick us out again, that he shouldn't be renting to us. And Don Luis and others advocated for us, oftentimes without us knowing in the moment. And God used that as a way to open the doors to be able to reach other people and talk to other people about the gospel. What about your life? What doors can you be praying that God would open in your life? Could you pray that you would be able to meet people who need Christ? Can you pray specifically maybe for three people, a friend, a relative, a coworker, parents on your kid's little league team? Can you think of someone and say, Lord, will you provide an opportunity to talk to so-and-so. Will you open a door? Pray about that. Think of ways where you can be praying that God would open doors in your life. There was another road sign. This was a, this was a, a mind-boggling road sign to us. It said, yield to trucks with no brakes. <laughs> now, I don't know how you identify trucks with no brakes. But if you see a semi hurtling towards you with no brakes, with no ability to stop, get out of the way. This, again, highlighted an aspect of Mexican culture. People aren't waiting for you to make a move. They aren't waiting for you to make a move. They are not sitting there saying, gosh, if I just wait long enough, this person is going to come and talk to me about a Savior. They aren't doing that. In other aspects of life, they're not sitting there at the line in McDonald's waiting for you to step up. If, if you're not pushing your way forward, they push in, in front of you. If you've ever seen a, a piñata be broken, the object of a piñata is not to have candy. It's to have the candy and others not have the candy. The kids dive in and they get on top of it and they get like this and they wait until their mom finally makes it over with a bag so that they can fill it all up. Most of the candy that you get in the piñatas is chaffa. It's bad, it's cheap. They're not actually going to eat most of that candy, but they want to get it and not have others. That, it's, it's very central to our human nature, no? We want to get. Well, what does that require? Well, in the parallel passage that we have in Ephesians chapter 6, 
there is a need for boldness. Here we have praying at all times. See, Paul's talking about the same thing, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And are we going forward there now? Sorry. There we go. And also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What is Paul saying here? He says, pray that I don't chicken out. Pray that I can be bold. That's how I ought to speak. I need boldness. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt so-and-so really needs to hear a word right now? They're going through a hard time They've just asked me how they can cope with whatever situation in their life. And I know they need to hear about Jesus. And what happens? Fear comes up. Fear comes up and we think, what will they think of me if I speak the name of Jesus? What will they do if I speak the name of Jesus? Will this have an impact on our friendship? Will they make fun of me? Will this impact my ability to work, to do business with this person? What, what will happen if I talk about Jesus, what will happen if they counter my words about Jesus with arguments that I don't know the answer to? Can I take that risk? Can I step out and do it? And Paul's saying, that's normal. So pray about it. We already know that we have fearful hearts. So pray for boldness to be able to speak the name of Jesus where Jesus' name needs to be spoken. Now, boldness does not mean go out and be a jerk. It's not go out and use your Bible to blindside somebody. It's not saying go and condemn people. It's saying there are times when God opens the door. Are you willing to walk through the door? Are you willing to step in and say, this is what Jesus has done for me. Jesus saw somebody like me, somebody that has a hard time loving other people, somebody that when he's in the midst of bad traffic wishes that other people would cease to exist so that he could get somewhere on time. Someone who could say, I really would prefer others not have life than have them get in my way. And... Your road signs are better in Atlanta traffic. Your traffic patterns are about the same as Guadalajara. Maybe you're like me in that. But that God would say, I can look on someone who so little loves life and yet I can work in him and love him and redeem him and change him. And now to be able to step out and say, Jesus has done this for me. Will you listen? Will you come to understand him? There was a time we had been working at befriending people in all areas of our lives. Uh, at school, uh, through the kids' activities, our kids were involved in an activity, and Amy had done this great job of getting to know the other moms. And we had this opportunity, we went out to lunch with them, and we're sitting there talking, and suddenly the man says, Now, Steve, I understand you're a pastor, and I understand y'all are Christians. Why really do you want to be in Guadalajara? 
Can you get a door much more open than that? I don't think so. And in that moment, various things were going on in me. I was sitting there going, I don't know how to answer this guy. This guy's already been a little intimidating in some ways. I'm not sure what to do. He's got the whole machismo thing going. And also, there in the distance, my son has just gotten up on the back of a donkey. Now, if you have any misconceptions about Mexico, our kids in the city were not normally on donkeys. It's a city of 7 million people with about 3 million cars, and it's crazy. So this was not something normal. We were out in the country at a little restaurant. And I'm seeing him, and I'm not really sure how this is going to go, and I'm hearing this question, and in that moment, I chickened out. I had the wide open door, and I didn't go through it. God, in his graciousness, allowed me to go through open doors many other times. But I fell on my face. You know, supposed superstar missionary or whatever. We have to pray about these things. We aren't sufficient. Every time that we think we are good enough, we aren't. We need Jesus. And we need this gospel boldness. But pray about that for your missionaries, but pray about that in your own life. That God would give you loving boldness. Then there's another road sign that's my personal favorite. No dejen piedra sobre el pavimento. Don't leave rocks on the pavement. This is a big sign. You see it all over the place on the highways in Mexico. Now, to understand this, you need to understand three things about Mexico and Mexicans, historically speaking. One, you have a lot of old cars, okay? Two, rocks are plentiful. And number three, there is something in the Mexican psyche that says, I worry about others not harming me. I don't worry about me harming others. It's a little bit different, whereas in the West or in North America, we speak often about everybody being equal. Oftentimes in Latin America, the idea is, I am special. And so I don't have to take other people into consideration as much. Now, there's something to be said for that, and there's something to be said for the U.S. perspective, so I'm not here bashing it. But in this particular case, what happens is somebody breaks down on the side of the road, they get behind their car, and they say, ooh, the oncoming traffic might hit me, so I'm going to pile up rocks behind my car to make sure no one runs into my car. And then they fix their car, and they drive off. And they're leaving piedra sobre pavimento. They're leaving rocks on the pavement. They are saying, this is what's important, that I'm fixed and I can leave, and then it's dark and someone else comes and plows into the rocks. Now, to understand that, I had to spend a lot of time in Mexico. What on earth are they talking about? How can I get in here and understand, and then how do I speak to people in this context with this mentality? How do I do that? And that's where Paul gets down to another point that we need to be praying about. He says, we need to pray for clarity. In verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, Paul is not suggesting that, hey, I really need you to pray for my speech impediment. He's not saying, uh, I often don't have a glass of water with me when I'm in public speaking events, and so I can't speak clearly. He's not saying that he's slurring his words 
or anything of that sort. He is saying, I need to know how other people think. And I need to have such a grasp of the gospel that I can communicate that truth to where those people are. That's, that's what clarity is. Clarity is understanding where you are and understanding what is true and being able to transmit that. That's what Paul says. We need clarity. That we've got open doors, that's great. We've got boldness, we've stepped in, wonderful. And now we need clarity. Now we need to be able to say it well to people, meeting them right where they are. This means, number one, I understand the message personally. Not just these abstract things, not this, well, I heard a couple sermon points saying, what is the gospel? What is the truth of God's word? What is it that's so special about Jesus? And then to look out at other people and say, how can I transmit this message lovingly? How do I look at someone in the midst of their cultural circumstances? How do I look at someone in the midst of their pain? How do I look at someone maybe in the middle of their sin patterns? How do I look at someone in the middle of conflict and say, this is the truth of the gospel for you? For thinking about our missionaries out there, well, that means a lot of things, of course. It means uh, learning another language, perhaps. It means learning different cultural cues. It means being able to be an idiot so much of the time as you are out there like a toddler trying to put everything together. It also means that you have to be thinking about cultural literacy. What are the values of a culture? What is the common language? What is the information that is held in common? idea that uh, E.D. Hirsch made popular a decade or so ago, this idea that Within the United States, there's a new culture, and to have cultural literacy, we need to study our own culture. As Francis Schaeffer put, Francis Schaeffer, a 20th century theologian and philosopher, he said, each generation of the church in each setting has the responsibility of communicating the gospel in understandable terms, considering the language and thought forms of that setting. In other words, I might be able to present the gospel really clearly to one person and that exact same presentation won't be clear to someone else. So I need to know people and love people. Pray that your missionaries would know where they are and that they would love people, but also pray for yourself that there are new generations coming up there is multiculturalism growing throughout this country. There are opportunities to reach out to people who aren't just like you. And so you need to think a bit about how people think. You need to study the culture. You need to understand what it is you believe and be able to lovingly come alongside someone else. So do you understand the basics of the gospel message? Do you understand how people around you think? Are you willing to make changes even to be able to reach others? To change the unimportant things? Foods you like? Circles you mix in? Are you willing to change those things to be able to reach people around you? 
Are you willing to listen well to other perspectives? Are you willing in the midst of a very conflictive election cycle to love people not like you? God is calling us to this. He's saying, speak clearly that my son's name will be exalted. See, when it comes back to it all, it's all about Jesus. That Jesus in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory is real. That Jesus loves his people. Jesus breaks down barriers. Jesus opens doors. Jesus emboldens frightened hearts. Jesus gives the ability to love other people and come into their lives with his word. And Jesus is coming again. He is coming. And he is going to be received by a throng of his followers. And he gives us the chance in this life to work in the progress of adding to that throng. That he is using us at this moment in time to show his love to the world. Will we do it? Will we follow in his mission? May he give us grace that we will. Let's pray.